0: Are you ready to study the scripture? Turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 13, verse 32. As you know, we've been in this series on resurrection people, learning who we are in Christ and, and who we are as a result of the resurrection of Jesus, how the resurrection influences us. And so I'm gonna start by reading our kind of cornerstone scripture, which I've read every Sunday. That we've been on this series, but it's important just to review Ephesians 1, uh, you don't have to turn there, you're in Mark 13, I'm going to get there in a second. It says, uh, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you, he's given you hope. He hasn't given you doubt or fear Discouragement, he's replaced it with hope. He says, I, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's praying, this, these are the things I want you to know. These are the things I want you to realize. These are the things that I want you to get in your mind and in your heart. He says, I want you, I want to pray that your heart would be enlightened, So that you'd know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So it's hope, it's riches, and it's power. Say it with me. That's that's pretty good news. You get hope, you get riches, you get power. Some of you are like, well, I'd like to see some of those riches right now. Maybe not the kind of riches you're thinking. The riches of his kingdom. The riches of his spirit and the incomparably, fun word to know and say, incomparably great power for those of us who believe. He's praying it and he's, then, 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 he, then he says this, which is really the phenomenal thing. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. I think it's so important for us to remember, as we're going through our daily lives, as we're going through our work and our family, that the the same power... that that God exerted in Christ is in you, is in me, is in us. We are resurrection people. That power exists, lives. It produces life in us. That is the power of that particular scripture. And so we're learning this, and uh, I, I, I was prepared to do a story, or a story, <laughs> a sermon, tell you a couple stories about resurrection friends, uh, which I really believe in, and I'm sure I'll get a chance to share it. But last night, I'm going to bed, and I just felt like this whole thing that's happening with the The rapture thing yesterday? Does anybody know about Judgment Day on May 21st? Does anybody know about that? Has anybody not heard about that? It is the craziest thing. Of course, I've seen the billboards for a while around town. And so I went and looked it up a few weeks ago and wanted to see who these people were and um, it's a quite a complex uh, biblical sort of exegesis and trying to put these pieces together to m- make it fit and numerology and looking at how many days came from the Noah's flood to today and then putting that together with how many days were in the Passover and then, to I don't know, it's so many different things I can't even, I can't even articulate it to you. But we look at this, this group of people This group of people that are proclaiming Judgment Day for May 21 and all all of the true believers would be swept away and there would be earthquakes and chaos ruling in the earth today. Well, it was crazy. It's 6 p.m. last night. I was watching, just before 6, I was watching CNN News and they're talking all about it. It's being broadcast all over the world. I mean, if you don't believe that one person can communicate with the world, I mean, welcome to the 21st century. Some guy, 89 years old, I don't think, I don't know if he even knows how to work the internet. <laughs> but he's got stuff all over the internet and he's, he's like putting it all over the place on radio and on these signs all over the place. I mean, this guy had the world talking. And it bothered me. I was watching Twitter. Everybody was making fun of it. You know everybody's laughing and, and having a good time and and the truth is the truth is a bunch of people were looking at Christians and 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 saying how crazy we are we got a we got a black eye on this one now no doubt no doubt we know that there's a group of people that are you know in in the family of christians there's a there's different brands of Jesus followers. We know that. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But as you get out towards the end of the family tree, there's some people who aren't even in the family tree who take the name of Jesus and they uh, they give us a black eye. Uh, and that's just part of the deal. It's part of living on this earth. But I began to think about that and I was pondering the the truth of resurrection, life, and power living in you and me and how important it is, it is for you and I to be able to articulate what we think about these things. That we're not just saying, well, there's a bunch of crazy people. Those aren't us. No, we're not them. They're crazy. We're not. Believe us. <laughs> it's going to require something different for people to believe you when you say that. I think it requires a couple of things. It requires the willingness to dialogue. It doesn't require that you're the smartest person on the planet. But you've got to know enough of your Bible to be able to talk about it and to be able to answer some questions or at least be able to say, you know, I don't know. Let me go ask my pastor. No. <laughs> That's not what I meant to say. Every one of you can read this Bible for yourselves. Every one of you. You've heard me say it before. I'll say it one more time. All the big cookies are on the bottom shelf. But you need to read it and be able to talk about these things and take what I believe is the opportunity leading up to this crazy judgment day to talk about what you believe with others, to take the opportunity and have that conversation. And here's what makes the difference. What makes the difference when you have the conversation is the power, the resurrection power, the spirit of God that lives in you, and this presence that is evident and felt that gives you grace to be able to say the words you're supposed to say, to be able to speak what you're supposed to speak, and for that person to hear the voice of God calling when you're talking to them. That's what makes the difference. That's what makes the difference. So, I felt like we should just take a little time and talk about this subject. Can we do that today? Can you just can you get your Bible out and let's read a few passages? Because the question, we should just, we should just read the passages for ourselves and then we should, we should do a little research. Any one of you could find some great study ideas in any study Bible. You could go to any Bible bookstore and buy a good study Bible, NIV study Bible. Uh, there's a, the New Living Translation study Bibles. There's the ESV study Bible. I mean, there's lots of places you could learn and just grow. If you don't know how to study your Bible, you can get a study Bible and read the notes. It'll help you. But I want you to get a little pen and... Uh, I want you to get a pen out and I want you to get your little journal out and I want us to just talk about a few things, alright? Let's talk about the resurrection power that lives in us. First, let me just say that all of these people that make these predictions, they come around every generation. Every generation. This is not new. This has been going on for hundreds of years, a couple of, a couple of millennia, actually. 2,000 years. And people uh, making these kinds of predictions, um, in 1988... Some of you weren't alive in 1988, but I was, and I was in college, and I remember this guy producing a little booklet, and it was 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Returning in 1988. (laughs) And then it didn't happen. I know that's news to some of you, but it didn't. And And then the next year, what happened? He wrote another book called "89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back" in 1989, and uh, this is important for us to understand. When we look at the scriptures, we really need to settle on this. Look at Mark 13:32. Mark 13:32 says, "No one knows about the day, that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father." This. Chapter is about the signs of the end of the age. And as we look at the signs of the end of the age, there's a lot of things we could look around in our day and say, yep, it's happening. Look at that. That's amazing. But the crazy thing, and it's been happening all this time. <laughs> this wrestling between light and darkness. These, these, uh, this, this war that's going on on our planet Since, really, since the days of Adam and Eve. And this this wrestling that's happening, and we, we can look at it, but we see this passage, Jesus is saying, nobody knows the day, not the angels, not even me, the Son of God. Only the Father. The Father knows it. Now that's important for a couple of reasons, I think. If you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, in fact, let's just look over there. Let's just it's just a few chapters over to your right. For those of you who are new to the scriptures, just go to your right, a few a few books and you'll look at Acts chapter 1. Here it is. This is after Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he's walking around with the disciples and he's He's revealing himself. He's talking about what's going to happen. He says, this says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? This is a moment where they're saying, okay, Jesus, is this is this when we get the power? <laughs> You're going to restore all the kingdom to Israel and it's going to happen for us. The thing we've been waiting for, we thought was coming when you rode on a donkey into Jerusalem. We thought you were going to take over and then you didn't. You got crucified on a cross, but now you're back. (laughs) Jesus essentially says, don't call it a comeback. (laughs) Verse 7 says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority but you will receive power. Here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. Look up at me, and then we'll look back down. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. You actually have your Bibles. You're reading them. <laughs> now, this can't be the only time you ever read them. When you come to church. Got to read them during the week, all right? So here's what he's saying. He says, it's not for you to be worried and stressed out about times and dates and seasons. He actually repeats what he's already told them in the gospel accounts. He's saying the Father is setting those times and dates by his own authority. And then in the same breath, it's as if he says, what I want you to be consumed about, what I want you to be consumed with is receiving power. What I want you to be thinking about is how resurrection power is filling you. How the Spirit of God is coming upon you and moving inside of you and speaking through you. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. Say it one more time. The power of the Spirit of God is to be a witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What he's saying is, I have a, I have a commissioning that I want to give you, I have something I want you to do. I want you to take this message, and I want you to take it by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I want you to engage culture. I want you to engage in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, which is a little outside your culture, and then I want you to even go to other cultures, and I want you to proclaim the message. I want you to speak about it. But you're gonna have to have the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's really hard to do as a program evangelism has to be something that's stirred up on the inside of you because of what God did inside of you because what Jesus does inside of us and of course after he said this verse 9 he was taken up before their very eyes can you imagine that wouldn't you love to have been there It's like, and he's talking to you and he's like but power is going to come on you and then you'll be my witnesses everywhere I would have been freaked out they were actually freaked out. Look at what happened. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was, as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Okay, it gets even more weird. Je- not only is Jesus appearing in different locked rooms with his glorified body, but now he is re- ascending into heaven, into the heavens, and, he's, and then he, as they're standing there, they're looking up like this. They're just kind of, okay, okay. Nice. And all of a sudden, two white men appear. And then they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? That's a great question. The problem with this whole Judgment Day thing is too much time looking up into the sky. Are you with me? How much time are you spending looking into the sky? How much time are you spending doing the work that he's given you to do? Jesus tells them what he wants them to do. And then the angels come and reaffirm it and says, This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now this is where it starts getting weird. Okay, so he's gonna come back. There's all kinds of uh, uh, segments of scripture that talks about him coming back in the sky. One segment of scripture talks about him coming on a white horse. So we know horses are in heaven. (laughs) Maybe dogs, definitely not cats. Cats go to hell. Yes. So so we're looking. Okay, come on. Reel it in, people. So we're looking into the sky. But Jesus doesn't want us to focus all of our attention there. He wants us to do something. He wants us to live in such a way that we will be about his work and his business. Now, just a couple of things. The reason this is so important that we see that Jesus said, even himself, even he does not know the time. He's demonstrating for us. Jesus is demonstrating for us that he trusts the Father. He trusts the Father with his timing. He trusts the Father with his life. See, Jesus could have known, if there was anybody who could have, it was Jesus. Fully divine, fully human, he could have been in on the secret. But the Father had not told him. Over and over in the scriptures, I want you to see this, how Jesus says to his disciples, I only do what my Father tells me. He willingly submitted to his father's direction, his father's instruction. He trusted his father to obey him. He surrendered his life and trusted his father with the timing of his life and the timing of world events. That's you and me. He's setting an example for us. That's how we have to live. We have to trust that he knows what we don't. And we surrender, that's what trust really is. It's taking the risk that he really does know, right? That's what trust, that's what faith is. We put our trust and our confidence in God, in our Father who knows the times and dates and seasons. And then the second reason this little passage is important where Jesus says, I, I don't even know the times. The angels don't know, only the Father. The second reason this is important is because the early church would not have written this down. You, if you're trying to convince, convince people, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? If you're trying to help people understand who Jesus is and what he's doing, if you're trying to create a movement, you wouldn't include stuff like this. You wouldn't include, oh, by the way, Jesus doesn't know everything. Well, why should we follow him? Because he serves his father. Because he is the son of God, the sacrifice for our sins. He listens to his father, and so should we. Do you see it? The, don't, 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 get, don't get all caught up in the way people want to in, interpret the Scripture. And by the way, this whole rapture thing, it is an interpretation of Scripture. It is not absolutely clear. I mean, think about it. The Pharisees, who were the religious teachers of their day, they knew the, the Old Testament forwards and backwards. They had massive, massive books, massive passages within the Torah memorized. They knew the Scriptures. They knew the prophets and they missed Jesus. They missed it. Not all of them, but most of them. So why would we think we could figure it out today? I think you only try to figure out if you have a Pharisee spirit. If you have a legalistic spirit, and you start viewing the scriptures as a legalistic document that you can beat people over the head with. Tell them to steal their stuff. Tell them to do what you want them to do hold it over their heads like it's some kind, of, some kind of sword to hurt people. It is a sword, but it's a sword to cut open your own heart, not to cut other people. You get me? That's what you find when you take the Scriptures and you deify them. The Scriptures are not our deity. Jesus is our deity. He is the King. And that's why this message, I forgot to mention my title, is (laughs) Resurrection People, The Community of Our Returning King. We had to wait a long time to get that, didn't we? The Community of Our Returning King. The King is coming he is the one that we look to our father is the, his father is the one that we look to jesus is our brother he has included us and called us his friends we are the children of god that come along with him but we have to trust him we have to surrender to him i was watching i was watching twitter and i loved I, last night i was watching all the people talk about talk about stuff my favorite tweet was the rapture did not happen today what a shame <laughs> i was looking forward to my spiritual body <laughs> and then the rest of it was now i'll have to keep doing p90x I thought Rick Warren's was the best, though. He said, Rick Warren is pastor uh, of Saddleback Church in California. He says, you need Jesus as your Savior, Lord, and best friend, not because you'll die tonight, but because you'll live tomorrow. You'll live tomorrow. Resurrection life is in you, and we are living for him. Here's the thing I want you to see, and you can write this down. We are never encouraged in the scriptures to escape this world. We're never encouraged to escape this world. We are, we are challenged to escape wickedness. We are challenged to escape, escape worldliness. We are challenged to escape sin that, that tries to take over and dominate our lives. But we are not encouraged to escape this world. So I want you to consider, just, just go with me for a second and consider what the possibilities might be of what Jesus is asking us to do here because while we are never encouraged to escape it, we are commanded to influence this world. We are commanded to influence this world. I want you to, um, I want you to just read John, John 17. Just turn over to John 17. It's just a couple books over, and we'll go there quickly. I'm gonna, this is Jesus' prayer to his Father. All right? Jesus' prayer to his Father. Verse 17 says, let's, let's start in verse 15 of chapter 17. We'll just read it quickly. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Interesting. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Oh, wait a minute. We're not of this world. We do have an origin that is not of this world. But Jesus here prays, I don't want you to take them out of it. I want you to keep them in it, but just protect them. Protect them from the evil one. He's praying to his father. He's praying for his disciples. He says, I want you to protect them. They are not of this world even as I am not of it. Then sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. His words begin to help us understand, make us holy. They sanctify them as truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus was sending us here. Jesus was sending his disciples and he wanted them to be here, to influence it, to start engaging in culture. If you look at um, other passages, you see in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, the apostle Paul is communicating to the Corinthian church, trying to help them figure out how they're supposed to live, how they're supposed to act, and he says this very curious thing to them. He says in verse 9, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. He's trying to convince them of something here, but he has to clarify himself. Now, this is a problem. Now, look at me. Look up. Look, wait, look up at me. The church has an issue and has always had with a tension between how much in the world we can be and how separated from the world we can be. And there are. Different groups of believers that believe different things on this. And that's why you see at moments of crisis some people who call themselves the body of Christ. They separate entirely from the world. And they don't want to have anything to do with anything that happens in the world. They separate themselves from culture. Essentially the Amish people picked a date and said "Uh, the world's getting too evil. We're just going to do this. And they separated themselves. I'm, I'm, I respect their choice to live that way. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, pick something and then draw a line and then don't go any further, don't use cell phones. Boy, what would we do? <laughs> I'm so addicted. When I was growing up, I grew up in a pretty... Um, I think aggressively, my parents really, they grew up in it, but a, a, an aggressive legalistic denomination. I mean, no movies, no, girls didn't wear pants, you know, it was like, it was, it was no makeup, no earrings, it was all this thing, it was all these external things, you know, we, we like, I like to say we don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. <laughs> That's not what this is. The Apostle Paul here is saying, I don't want you to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. Ah, oh, he's saying, you, you're not leaving. Oh, we're not leaving? Well, wait a minute. Well, what's going to happen then? Hmm, it's good for us to read the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn over there. Are you following me? Are you with me? Are you curious? Good, read your Bible. 1 Corinthians 15. Let's start in verse 16. This is the Apostle Paul. He's talking about, of all things, the resurrection of Christ. He has just finished talking about how Jesus has revealed himself to 500 people at one time, to his disciples, to all these people. He's walking around making sure that, that they see him after he's been resurrected, all right? And then he says in verse 16, he says, uh, for if the dead are not raised, he's making the case, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. What is he saying there? He's saying people who've died already, they're lost. If there's no resurrection, if you're gonna say there's no resurrection, if you're gonna argue this point, you understand, you might not understand that Jewish culture believed there was a future resurrection of all things. So the idea was in their, in their culture, in their, in their arguments. But this is the city of Corinth and they're arguing about what has or hasn't happened. Paul is trying to settle it here and he's saying, look, Christ has been raised. He was resurrected from the dead and I'm telling you right here, he appeared to these people. And you can check on it. You can check those eyewitness accounts because many of them are still alive. Right? We've already talked about that a little bit. So then he says, people who are lost, people who are, are dead, if the resurrection ha- is not occurring, then there's no hope for them. If on them, Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. That's a, that's a challenging passage, isn't it? If you only have hope for this life, if you only have hope for this body, this flesh and bones that, are, that, are trying, that you're trying to keep from suffering the effects of age and sagginess, if that's all you're trying to do is just stave off the effects of death, then it is sad indeed. A sad life for you indeed. But... If you have resurrection life and power, something else happens to you. He says, "For since, uh, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the uh, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will, all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those." Who belong to him. Notice that. First Christ, then when he comes, so he's coming back, and those who belong to him are going to see death defeated. That's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. That means there's hope. Then, verse 24, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power for he must reign ooh you need to underline those three little words he must reign he must reign in this world he must reign in your world he must reign in your life he must reign over your circumstances he must reign over your mind he must reign this is an emphatic an emphatic statement for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Oh, there's a process happening here. He's putting his enemies under his feet. Listen to me. When Jesus came, you're fascinated now, aren't you? You're like reading it with a whole new point of view. You're reading it. Jesus was the announcer of the kingdom of God. That's why he said over and over again, the kingdom has come. The kingdom is near you. The kingdom is coming. Right? He was announcing it. He wasn't saying, you better you better obey or you're going to be in trouble. That wasn't his message. Jesus never said if you were to die tonight, would you know where you would spend eternity? He never actually said that. <laughs> now I believe that eternity is decided every day as people die. It's true. But Jesus was announcing that there's a kingdom that's coming. And we are part of that announcing. We're part of that process. We're announcing the kingdom that's coming to us. With us. In us. The kingdom has been announced. We are in charge of announcing it. Now, I want you to see how, I want you to see that, Resurrection power, it's just an interesting thing to think about. As Paul is making this case, he's talking about how Jesus demonstrated his resurrection power by walking around on earth. Think about this with me. It's really not helpful. Resurrection power over death is not necessarily proven by disappearing and going to heaven. If that was the case, Jesus never would have had to come back and walk around among his disciples and act like he was, you know, act like he was going on farther on the road to Emmaus and then be convinced to stay and then talk to them and then poof disappear, showing up in locked rooms with his resurrected body. He came and he stayed for 40 days. He proved by his appearing that there is something else, that there is an, uh, a, the power of God that is, has come into the world. Jesus could have died and disappeared. He didn't. He demonstrated his resurrection power and that is what you and I are called to do, is to demonstrate that power. But we've got to understand what's coming. Go over to 1 Corinthians. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, 1 Thessalonians. Thessalonians, another fun word to know and say. 1 Thessalonians. I want you to read this passage. This is a passage about where we're going, where we're headed. Are you still with me? All right. Here we go. I want you to start in verse 11. Verse 11. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the people in Thessalonica, and he says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands just as we told you. <laughs> this 89-year-old guy, Harold, he, he, did, he was not living a quiet life. He actually stirred the whole world into an uproar. He stirred the whole world up to something that was wrong, to a wrong idea. The plan of God to bring his kingdom to earth is for you and I to live quiet lives, influencing the people around us. I know we have this thing, this media, this social media context where we can get in front of cameras and say things to hundreds of thousands and millions of people. I'm not sure people were ever built for that. If you follow the logic, people who are famous often end in misery. It's because I don't think they were built for it. If they don't have a context, if they don't have a family, if they don't have the right uh, context for handling all that, and even if they do sometimes, it's very challenging. God's plan for you and for me is to live amongst a group of people in a community of people that we understand is worldwide, but we are here in Austin living a quiet life, influencing people at our work and our school and the relationships that we have and that we're engaging in, and we're influencing them, telling them, the kingdom of God has come. This is good news for you. You don't have to suffer the penalty of your own sin. You don't have to pay. He says, I want you to see that, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So that you will win the respect of outsiders. That's a major goal in the Pauline epistles, is to live your life so that outsiders will not be able to say anything bad about you. See, we are built to be personal and relational. We are built to be in. in integrated into the culture of a city or into the culture of our neighborhood, into the culture of the people around us. We were made for that. That's how the kingdom gets announced. Am I preaching against TV preachers? or No, it's fine. It's great. But they better be in a community. They better be in, in experiencing life with somebody who can call them on the carpet. now Now he goes into this, so this is the precursor, this is the instruction just before the Apostle Paul speaks about the coming of the Lord. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no, what does it say? That's what we read at the beginning. We don't want you to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Did he say not to grieve for people who pass away? No, he didn't say not to grieve. He said just don't grieve like the ones who have no hope. You have hope. Your grief, your grief is deep and difficult and yet it's laced with hope. We believe that Jesus died, verse 14, and rose again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So all the people who fall fallen asleep, Jesus, they're gonna be resurrected. This is part of resurrection power that lives in you. This old tent, this body, it goes away but there's a resurrection that's going to come with people who've fallen asleep. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. This is what the angel said, isn't it? The Lord will come down from heaven With a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. Now, I happen to believe when Christ returns, people are going to know it. Ain't going to be no wonder. I mean, if you ever saw, if you grew up in the 70s, you saw A Thief in the Night, or at least heard about it. That movie scared us all to death. (laughs) Now, it's an interpretation of scripture, and I'm willing to concede that. But I just, I'm not sure that that's how it's going to work. I don't think people are going to disappear. I think Christ is going to return and there's something that's going to happen as we meet him that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And this is the thing I want you to consider that will mess with your brain a little bit is if God created this world and he said it was good and the only thing that corrupted it was sin at the end of all days I believe the scriptures teach us that he's going to come back and renew it and resurrect it. That it will be a, a resurrected, imperishable. That He will defeat sin. He will defeat death and the grave. He already has. What He's going to do when He comes back is put a stamp on it. All these people are going to ra- come out of their out of their graves. People who have been dead a really long time. I don't know how it's going to work because they're all like totally eaten up by worms, but there, there's something that'll happen, those worms, something will pop out of those worms, and, or pop out of the dirt, and it'll start forming, and you've all seen movies, you know how it's going to happen. Well, this is the problem, isn't it? We're all kind of interpreting how it's going to happen. I'm not really, I'm not absolutely sure, but what I see here is he's going to, the voice of the Lord will come with an archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive, our uh, our left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we be with the Lord forever. So there's something that we're going to meet him in the air. We're going to meet him in the clouds. There's no, I mean, that's, that's what this says. We don't need to un, undo that. But I think what we need to do is we need to look at this as the new heavens and the new earth, which means all the old rules are off. Jesus' resurrected body appeared all kinds of places. I don't know how that's going to work exactly. But I know that Jesus is coming back. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he means we're going to go away and nothing's going to survive. Jesus is gonna come back and reign. So there's an interesting thing that happens here. If you look at, at Revelation 21, I just want you to see the picture. This is the revelation that the Apostle John received of the vision. God's speaking to him about what was to come. He says in verse two, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. So he's seeing the city of God coming down. Everybody say down. It's not going up, it's coming down. The city is coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. That's pretty cool. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain for the old order of things has passed away. In, there is, I want you to embrace this idea that we are not escapists waiting for the day. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. <laughs> We're not talking about just going away in the sweet by and by. This passage, if you go back to 1 Thessalonians, is talking about an idea that the Apostle Paul talks about often called the second coming. And the word for that second coming is parousia. Parousia. P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A and it's, it's the second coming and it's about the return of a king. It's not necessarily about leaving. And you have to understand the context of these people that we're listening especially in this context, and in the context of the Philippian church, where the Apostle Paul says, your citizenship is in heaven. He's not necessarily talking about leaving. He's talking about meeting the Lord. He's talking about embracing what he's done and what he's doing If you go over to Philippians, I'll just read it real quick before before we're out of time. He says, for as I've told you and before now saying again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, everything what? Everything under, uh, this earth under his control. The things that are, uh, are against his control and trying to push against his control that will transform our lowly body so that it will be like his glorious body. You have to see the context of these people that were under Roman rule. And Paul is speaking to them. He's using not Old Testament technical terms. He's using Lord, Savior, king he's using these terms because they are they are caesar terms he was lord king in fact at that time many of the caesars had already begun to take their own divine honor they began to embrace themselves their kingship as divine and so This picture of a king who is returning. The Lord, the king. Not Caesar. You've seen Caesar come back from the wars. You've seen Caesar overcome all the Greek world at that time. And make these colonies of Roman rule. He's making colonies out of all these places. And he's returning from the wars. And when he returns from the wars, you know what happens? The people under his kingship they come out from where he's from when he's returning and they come out to meet him outside the city they come to meet him and embrace him and celebrate him and celebrate what's happening and so they welcome the king back the conquering king the conquering hero into their midst this is the context that the apostle paul is saying you'll meet him in the air you'll meet him you will be transformed you will come and you will rejoice and celebrate your coming king But what you are doing, make no mistake, is the same thing that Jesus taught you to do when he taught you the Lord's Prayer and he said, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're doing is, he's not saying, you know, once we're done with this place, we can retire to that really sweet mansion. We're not going to sit around on clouds. Isn't this awesome for eternity? Uh, frankly, I've never understood why that's so awesome. We were originally designed to rule and to reign. Sin corrupted that. Jesus is making it right. He announced the kingdom was coming. The return of the king is coming to a new heaven and a new earth where all things will be made new. You and me and everything else. Now, make no mistake, there is going to be a judgment. God will have his say. There will be a pronouncement of that judgment. I do believe that hell is a real place. But I think we have to embrace this idea, and this is the last thing I'll say, is we have to live our lives here not as if this is somewhere we're just trying to escape from. We can't live our lives as this is a place where we're just kind of holding on until we can get away, until God sort of destroys it all. In fact, some people have not treated the environment well because they said, this is not This is all going to burn up anyway. It doesn't matter. No, we are supposed to be the ones that care for creation better than anybody. God gave it to us we are bringing the civilization of heaven. We're not retiring there. We're bringing the civilization of heaven to the earth, and that's what the king is going to come to do. Finally, ultimately, final victory on this earth. That's going to be an incredible day, an incredible moment. Now, I don't know how it's all going to happen, but I thought you should know that's what I think. Should we pray? Just close your eyes for a moment and bow your heads. Father each of us each of us need to come to this moment this place where we trust you each of us need to come to this place like the philippian church did when they were told their citizenship is in heaven he the apostle paul did not want them to embrace the culture of their day he wanted to embra- embrace the culture of heaven we want to do that today we want to make jesus lord and king Not our own lives, not our political beliefs, not any other person, not our American culture, not our American political system. We want to make you king of our lives. Would you teach us to surrender today? Would you help us understand how this works? Would you help us to embrace the coming of the king? that we lift our eyes in expectation and we live in an atmosphere, an environment of anticipation that you are coming. And because you are coming, we need to be hard at work. We need to be witnesses. We need to be the people that are sharing and announcing as Jesus did. We need to be the ones who are praying, let your kingdom come. We're the ones who are your hands and feet making the kingdom come. Father, would you help each one of us, every one of us, to think like this, to live like this, to see the world differently, not as a place to be abandoned, but as a place to be renewed, restored, that we are being restored and made new by the power of the resurrection, by the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Help us to take that life and power into every area, every sphere of our society and culture, into our schools and into our workplaces and into our families and into our relationships, our neighborhoods. Father, help us to be those kind of people. We commit to it now. We choose it. We choose surrender. We choose lordship. We choose to trust you.